I'm going to bring uh, three uh, short reflections tonight, and I want to leave you with uh, three Christmas symbols to help you understand Jesus. Here's the first one. A crown. Like a kid's talk, isn't it? Uh, who, who wears a crown? A king or a queen. A king or a queen, a ruler, someone who reigns. Here's a secret. I, I love my wife dearly, but there's another, another woman in the world who I'm quite fond of. And her name is Elizabeth. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. On the 6th of February next year, Queen Elizabeth will be the longest, well, she is the longest reigning monarch. She would have reigned for 70 years. 70 years ruling and reigning. I, I think she's been a great queen. She has ruled with justice, with wisdom, with integrity, and with humility. And that's what you want of a king or a queen, someone who will rule with integrity, with wisdom, with justice, someone who uses their power for, for good and not for evil. And that is really the message of the angel that first Christmas, that the queen is a great queen, but she's not the greatest queen. King Jesus is the greatest king. He is the eternal king. It's what you sung about. Hark the herald angel sing glory to the newborn king. Look at your Bibles, uh, Luke 1, 26. On that first Christmas, Angel Gabriel appeared in a town called Nazareth. Just so you know, Nazareth is, is not a nice town. It's not like Sydney with a beautiful harbour. It's not like New York or Paris or Rome or London. Nazareth is a horrible, seedy, corrupt, nasty place. To a virgin, verse 27, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That, that is good news because Joseph, the adopted father of this child, is from the line of David, the, the kingly line, the regal line, the royal line. And the virgin's name was Mary. Just so you know, Mary is probably between 13 and 15 years old. She's young. So God appears to a young illiterate young girl destined to spend her entire life in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. And God says you're going to give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus and that word means God saves. I don't know whether you've been to a gender reveal party when a pregnancy happens. But all I can tell you is, is, is it a boy, is it a girl? The angel reveals so much more than that. The question is this, not is Jesus king, the question is what kind of king will Jesus be? What kind of king will Jesus be? Well, keep reading, verse 32, he will be great, a great king, not, not just a great teacher or a great humanitarian or a great miracle worker, he's going to be in essence great, his whole character will be great, greater than great, he's the greatest king who ever lived. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, verse 32. That word means the all-powerful one. He has more power and more strength and more ability than any other human king or queen. Why, verse 35? Because he's the Son of God. He is God himself. Power is a great thing, isn't it? But power in the wrong hands is a terrible thing. And it's Some human... Kings and queens have abused their power. They've used their power for evil. They're tyrannical. They're corrupt. They're like dictators. Uh, 
But this King Jesus, he's not just powerful, but he's good. He's perfect. Verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, David was the greatest king who ever lived, but he wasn't perfect. He stuffed up. Just think Bathsheba. But this king, the one who will come from the line of David, will be the perfect, good, righteous, kind king who will rule with justice and with peace. And his rule, verse 33, is going to be a forever kind of rule, an eternal king. His kingdom will, will never end. That's the thing about human kings. They die. Uh, I'll give you a heads up. Over the next year or so, I'm going to be grieving or mourning because my second favorite lady, Elizabeth, will have died. But that's okay because I've got, I've got more kings and queens. <laughs> I've got Charles and I've got William and I've got George. But the problem is that I don't know whether Charles is going to be a good king or a bad king. I don't know whether William will be a good king or a bad king or George might be a good king or a bad king. And what I actually need is this assurance that this king is always going to be good. And, and Jesus lives forever. He's going to rule forever. He's never going to stop ruling, never going to stop reigning. He's always in charge. And I guess that's my question tonight. If he is king, which he is, if he is a good king and a perfect king and a powerful king, which he is, and if he's going to reign forever, how do you relate to him? How do you relate to a king or a queen? At the wise men on that first Christmas, they, they bowed down to him and they worshipped him. And that word worship means that you give him the honour, you give him his worth, you give him his, his glory, you acknowledge him to be king, you submit to him as king. Do you do that? Do you live your life every single day, submitting to Jesus as your eternal, good, perfect, powerful king. See, I think for many of us, if we're honest, we actually think that we are still in charge most of the time. It's almost like we go around with a, the crown on our own head all the time, going, I'm king, I'm king, I'm king. I make my, I make my decisions. And, and, and if the last two years have taught us nothing, with, with COVID ravaging everything and changing all of our plans, cancelling our holidays, disrupting our schooling and disrupting our work and we can't see our loved ones. We've got all these plans that we make, but, but COVID has reminded us that we're not in charge. We're not king. You're not king. I'm not king, but Jesus is. And when you live your life every moment of every day acknowledging that you're not on the throne, but Jesus is, he's got it, he's got you. It is so liberating. It's so liberating. And Christmas shouts at you, the all-powerful, the all-perfect, the all-ruling, the all-reigning king has stepped into this world so you don't need to fear. You don't need to think you're in charge of everything. Just let him be king of your life. That is Christmas. So we've got a, a crown for king and you've got a, a cradle. A cradle for a baby. Now, how do those two work together, a, a, a king and a baby? That is, that is Christmas in a nutshell, a king and a baby. I love the quote that a thousand times a baby has been born to become king, but only once in history has a king been born as a baby. A thousand times lots of babies have been born who were born to be a king, they're born to be heirs to the throne, but only once in the entire history of the world has a king been born as a baby. 
It's the most humble entrance in history. The king of this universe left the throne of heaven and chose to be born in a dirty, filthy stable. He could have come with a grand entrance. He could have had fanfares and fireworks and palaces and photo shoots. But there's none of that. And we're just told in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. So you've got this powerful, egocentric, megalomaniac king called Caesar, and he just wants more power, and he wants more money. And so he flexes his muscles. That's what most powerful people do, isn't it? Flex their muscles and use and abuse people. And he issues this decree that you have to go back to the place where you were born just so you can get more of your money in taxes. Now compare Caesar, the powerful king who flexes his muscles with King Jesus. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. That word means house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, is born in the town called the house of bread. But it's a backwater town, a nothing town. They're pledged to be married, so they are betrothed. They're legally married, but they haven't consummated the marriage yet. And while they were there, the time came to, for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, and he was born in the palace with cashmere onesies and a nice lace gown. No, he was born in a manger. It wasn't actually a wooden crib. It was a dirty, filthy feeding trough. It wasn't actually a stable, it was a cave. The king of this world was born in a cave, in a dirty, filthy feeding trough with hard straw. It doesn't get much more humble than that, doesn't it? Now, I think we're supposed to scratch our heads at this point. Because if, if God is really ruling and reigning, if God's in control of every single thing, if God can get his chosen couple into the right town of Bethlehem to fulfill all those prophecies at the right time using a pagan powerhouse like Caesar, then, then surely God, God could have arranged things so his baby, his king, could have been born at least with a room to stay in. Doesn't make sense, does it? And I think God is supposed to teach us a lesson. He's, he's shouting to us that the way he is born, a humble birth, is the way that he's going to live the rest of his life. Because your King Jesus left heaven to become human, but he didn't live a life of luxury and a life of splendor. He lived a life of, of poverty and humility and servitude. Jesus himself said he didn't come to be served, but to serve others. Paul says in Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant. He took on human flesh. And who were the first visitors that first Christmas? They were shepherds living out in the fields. Ordinary, lowly, normal, humble shepherds. You're supposed to think about you know, the security guards in the harbour bridge at 2 a.m. Just, just normal folks going about their normal life. My, my wife loves... Netflix Christmas movies. And I've watched a whole heap of them. They're, they're all basically the same. Same plot line. It's basically a king or a queen or a prince or a princess who pretends to be normal for a while. But King Jesus didn't just pretend to be normal for a while. He was normal. 
He was fully human. He humbled himself to become fully human. Think of his birth. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. Think of his life. No palace, no privilege, no possessions, no reputation, no roof. Think of his friends. Who did he hang out with? He didn't hang out with all the rich religious people. He hung out with the marginalized, the outcast, the prostitutes, the poor, the sick, the suffering. Think of his attitude. He was king, but he didn't shout and abuse his power. He stooped low and washed dirty feet. This is the humble king. Philip Yancey says this, before, God, before Jesus, almost no pagan author had used humble as a compliment. Yet the events of Christmas point inescapably to what seems like an oxymoron, a humble God. The God who came to earth came not in a raging whirlwind, nor a devouring fire, rather. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down, 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 so low as to become an ovum, a single fertilized egg, barely visible, an egg that would divide and redivide until the fetus took shape and then enlarge cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. I love that about Jesus. He, he came not to be served, but to serve. He was a humble king. He came to serve you. He came to serve me. That's why he came. My favorite carol is, O Holy Night. My favorite line is, The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, he was born to be our friend. He knows your needs, and to your weaknesses, there is no stranger. This humble king became flesh because he wanted to understand. This this year you have faced trials and tragedies and pain and hardships and suffering. And Jesus knows. He's been here. He's felt that. Humility is actually what it means to be truly human. And if you claim to follow Jesus, you're called to be humble. You're called to put others above yourself. You're called to consider others better than yourself. And it comes by having that right view of Jesus. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary and he led thousands to Christ. He went to preach at a church in Melbourne and the MC introduced him as Hudson Taylor, our illustrious guest. And Hudson stood straight up and says, Dear friends, I'm just a little servant of an illustrious master, my King Jesus. So this Christmas, would you think about your humility? Get rid of your pride, get rid of your self-centeredness. You're, you're not special. You're just a human being, loved but cherished by a humble, humble servant, Jesus. Our final reflection, we've got a, a crown. For Jesus as the eternal king, we've had a a cradle for Jesus as a humble king. Here's our our final symbol. What's this? Cloth. How does that relate to Jesus? Cloth. Look at verse 12. It's a great verse. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So at first Christmas, baby Jesus was swaddled, was wrapped in a cloth. Why do you do that with a baby? You do that with a baby to keep them safe, secure. 
And so that very first Christmas, you've got the king of the universe in a cave, wrapped in cloths. Now come forward 33 years. No longer a baby, but a man. The king of the universe is now a man, and he wanders to a place called Jerusalem or Golgotha. And there he is mocked and beaten, and they put a, a robe around him, and they mock him. Hail, king of the Jews! And they spit on him, and above the cross is a sign saying, this is the king of the Jews. And then Jesus shouts, it is finished, and breathes his last. Now, what do they do with his dead body? Where do they put it? Into a, a cave or a tomb. And what do they wrap the body in? Not, not baby cloths, but burial cloths. So Jesus started his life wrapped in cloths. Jesus ended his life wrapped in cloths. And then when the first people came to the cave, the tomb, that first Easter Sunday, they found the burial cloth, but there was no body. And there's another angel there, and the angel said exactly the same words, do not be afraid. Don't fear, because Jesus has defeated death and Jesus is risen. Because that's why that baby was born, not just to be a great man or a great teacher or to live a good life, but to save you. It's actually what the angel said on that first Christmas day, an angel, verse 9, of the Lord appears, so God appears. In verse 9, the glory of the Lord, the splendor, the majesty of God shone around them, and they were terrified, I bet they were. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid, you've got nothing to fear. I bring you good news, not bad news, not sad news, but good news that will cause great joy. A joy is that deep-seated emotion that brings you peace and brings you contentment and security. This is good news that's going to bring you peace and security for all the people, for every human being that's ever lived, of every tribe, people, and nation, of every generation, of every age and stage, every social status. All people can experience this good news of great joy. What is the good news at verse 11 today? It probably wasn't the 25th of December, actually. Today, in the town of David, in Bethlehem, as promised by all the scriptures, a saviour has been born. See that word, verse 11, a saviour. It means a deliverer, a rescuer. Not just a baby, not just a child, but a saviour has been born. Because Jesus is the saviour king. On the 5th of August, in 2010, at 2pm, a tragedy struck in Chile. And you might know this story, there's 33 men down a mine in Chile, and the mine collapses. They're trapped underground, 600 meters underground, they're five kilometers from the entrance. Now, how would you describe the fate of those men? Hopeless, helpless, trapped, buried? Uh, they had three days rationed food. Enough food to last for three days. Tin sardines, tin salmon and biscuits. They had no drinking water, just the industrial water to, do, to wash the drills. The, the ration of food, it lasted 16 days, but then they had no more food, no more water. How would you describe their plight then? Hopeless, helpless, facing death. The miracle happened on day 17 when they drilled into exactly the right spot 
and they managed to put a tube down into this, this, this area where the 33 miners were gathered. And down that tube, they fed food and water and, and bits of the Bible, actually. But that was day 17. Day 20, they're still stuck. 30, 40, day 50, day 60, they're still stuck underground. How would you describe their fate then? Hopeless, helpless, facing certain death. Day 69, 69 days buried underground, 600 meters. Finally, finally, those men were lifted to safety. They were saved, they were rescued. Now, what do you think those men said when they were saved? Oh, why did you bother? I could have saved myself. Thank you very much. Oh, why go to all that effort for me? I don't really deserve that. How dare you save me? Or maybe they said, oh, you were just doing your job. That's what you're called to do to save people. Now, every single one of those 33 men came out of that mine and got on their hands and knees and just said, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. And I share that story because you and I are not stuck down a mine. We're not buried under rubble, but we are buried under sin. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's what I call the ugliness of Christmas. I don't actually like Christmas very much, uh, mainly because I think that Christmas brings out the worst in people, not just the best in people. You know, we see great things at Christmas, kindness and compassion and generosity, but you see horrible things at Christmas. Fighting and factions and squabbling and slandering and people spending copious amounts of money and there's, there's luxury everywhere and there's deep loneliness and deep pain. And it seems to become, become more and more selfish at Christmas. Me, 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 my wants, my needs. It's not just Christmas, every day of our life, we're actually quite selfish. And the Bible calls that sin. And so we need saving. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save you. Today, in the city of David, a saviour has been born. So that baby that was born was wrapped in burial cloths 33 letters. He defeated death. He defeated the grave because he died for you. He died to forgive you, to save you, to rescue you. So my question is this. How do you treat him? Maybe you're like those miners and you're sitting here thinking, well, that's his job to save me. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, how dare you? I didn't need to save you. I could save myself. Thank you very much. But I hope you're like those miners who just get on your knees and just say, wow, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Maybe you're here tonight and it just makes no sense that a king could become a baby and then be dead and buried and and, and claims to be a saviour. If that is you and you've got questions, would you do what the shepherds did? They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go and check it out. Let's go and explore. We'd love to help you to explore who Jesus is. Sign up for a course like Christianity Explored or Alpha or come along in January for our Conversations That Matter sermon series. But maybe you're here and you've heard this Christmas story so many times. I guess my word for you this year is that word ponder. Mary, verse 19, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It just means that she had the time and the space just to marvel and to reflect at the miracle that she just heard. So in all the busyness this Christmas, would you just make time and space to ponder this extraordinary king, the humble king, the saviour king,
who saw you, who loves you, who knows you, and says, I want to save you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that you are our saviour king. And we pray, Father, you'd help us to ponder, to ponder your humility and to ponder your great salvation. In Jesus' name.